Well, good to see you this morning. How about a couple minutes of family time together? Uh, I just have to say, I am I'm so thankful for you and even, even proud of you. You know, even the last number of weeks, we have been able to catch up considerably on our budget goals for this year, while at the same time cranking out our goals to... Um, to put a brand new roof on top of our auditorium. And I don't know if you've been watching how close we are getting. We are inching ever so close. And I'm so thankful for your attentiveness to that and your sacrificial giving. And uh, I'm excited. We are getting really close on this. Our, uh, our goal to finish off the giving on this is the end of this month. And I think we are really, really close. So um, we might have... We might have this thing all wrapped up in the next couple weeks and have a brand new roof on there before snow falls in September <clears throat> for next winter. So we're really excited about that. Hey, here's another um, thing. <clears throat> Not only is next week Easter, we're going to be opening up our Resource Center bookstore next Sunday morning for the very first time. And it's not um, the, the largest big to-do. We had the opportunity to start out a little bit smaller, but we have selected what we really believe are resources that will target most of the things that you and I deal with on a regular basis. And so we've targeted a lot of things that, that help people learn how to study the Bible for themselves, things that help people deal with marriage issues or working with children or financial things. Um, there are even Bibles that are the same translation that I speak out of here on Sunday morning. So that will be in the Welcome Center, and we're going to open it um, between each service. So starting around 10 o'clock next Sunday, Easter morning, it'll be open for a half hour. And then after the second service, it'll be open for about a half hour and if you want to take the time to go through there next Sunday, make sure you check that out. Now, do remember, with Easter, we have the two services. Now, the 9 a.m. service, we're going to get started right at 9 a.m. And we are asking you folks to be a part of the 9 a.m. service because most newcomers will come to the 1030 service. And the only exception is if you're inviting folks and they want to come to the 1030, will you come to the 1030 service with them? But the 9 a.m. service, you know the big challenge with the 9 a.m. service, right? And that is we're not going to open the balcony. And I've already got some messages on Facebook and through text. I've had some people threatening that they're going to bring their own ladders and they're going to climb up there. I understand. I understand that this is a real challenge for some people spiritually. We have been praying for you all week long. You can do it. I know you can do it. <clears throat> now, the good thing is, is if we can fill up this lower level at the 9 o'clock hour, we will open the balcony, and, um, and we'll let you up there. Second hour, it'll be opened up, and we'll take care of that. The way to be able to take care of all of our needs Easter Sunday, and I'll tell you, better than a Facebook ad, um, better than anything we can do online, are Easter invites you folks connecting with your friends and relatives, neighbors, and all of that. And our Easter invite cards will be in the back when you leave this morning. Not only will our helping hand offering 
be available to us all as you leave, so also will our Easter invite cards be available to us so we can invite people close to us to come with us and worship with us on Easter. I think that's it. So grab your Bible, if you would, or copy the scripture, your electronic device, whatever it may be. Turn with me for our last time, can you believe it, to James chapter 5. We are at the end of our study in the book of James. We began this in 2018. This is our 18th message in the book of James And next Sunday, we begin our new series on Easter Resurrection Sunday called The Comeback, It's Not Over Yet. And we have today a topic of great importance that we are going to deal with in our discussion, and it's on the subject of prayer. Prayer. Now, Dr. Howard Hendricks, he's a famous preacher and uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now he's with the Lord in heaven. He tells of a time when he was a young man before he was married. And he was aware that certain mothers had set their eyes on him for their daughters. And one mother even had the nerve to come up to him one day and said, Howard, I just want you to know that I'm praying that you will be my son-in-law. And Dr. Hendricks always stops at this point in the story and says to his audience, have you ever thanked God for unanswered prayer? (laughs) Well, survey of 35,000 Americans from the Pew Research Center sheds a little light on the prayer situation for our nation. Study was done of how much Americans pray outside of the church. And primarily, I wasn't concerned about other denominations and religions. My concern primarily was with our stripe and our type of believer. And as I looked at that, there was a range But the reality is for our type and stripe of believer, the potential is there that as few as 53% of evangelical Protestant individuals say they pray every day. The reality is that up to 47% of evangelical Protestants admit that genuine prayer is not always a part of their daily lives. And to me, I say, yikes. Now, beyond the prayer situation, I know that that's a large poll that deals with a broad spectrum of denominations. And so forget about them. My question for you is, how is your prayer time? Do you pray much? Do you pray for more than meals? Do you pray with passion? Do you pray even if things are going well? Do you pray if things are tough? Do you pray? 
And the Bible encourages and even commands prayer all the way through it. And and I just want to tick through a number of verses that mention this. Um, 1 Chronicles 16, 11, just listen to these. It says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Psalm 5, 3 says, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct my prayer to you and I will look up. Psalm 25, 1 says, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 55, 17 Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. And and as we walk through the issue of prayer, you know, even before we talk about what we say, prayer communicates something to God. I'm not even going to tell you what you're saying or how how to pray. But just the fact that we pray, it does communicate something to God. The fact that we take the time to talk to God tells God something. It tells him that I want a relationship with you. I want time with you. You are valuable to me. It it also shares this idea of worship. Like, you know, some people pray to this God or that God or whatever may be the case, but, but Yahweh, Father in heaven, I pray to you, the only God of all. It, it shares something of worship. It shares something of priority. The God I could talk to anyone else, I could flip on Dr. Phil or I could pick up my self-help book or I could do whatever, but God, I'm talking to you says something of priority. Prayer says something of value. I'm not even talking about what we say, but just praying to God says something. Let's flip that around. Not praying says something too, doesn't it? Not praying can say, I think I've got this, God. (laughs) Or, you know, I'm, I'm just busy. Or I think I think other people's solutions make sense to me. Or you know what? I value them and and what they have to say. Or I'm, I feel fairly independent, I, I can handle this, or you know what, I just don't believe that maybe what you're going to tell me is, is what I need. And, and prayer or not prayer, it all communicates something. And I'm not even talking about what we're saying yet. 
This morning we're going to step into a unique passage that will encourage us no matter what we're going through, whether we're going through good stuff or whether we're going through tough stuff, that God wants us to communicate with him. Because this, at its heart, we are in a relationship with God. And he wants us to engage with him in that. So here we are at verse 13 of James chapter 5. And for the very last time, we're going to read through this passage of Scripture. And then today, my friends, we're going to close up the book of James until some further time that we decide to get into it down the road, which isn't going to be for a little while. So how about we stand together? I'm going to read through this last section of Scripture. And then we're going to jump into the text And then close out our time together. Follow along with what you have. I'm going to read starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Okay, here we go. Have a seat. Grab your study guide. Our main thought here this morning, there are responses we should give to God through every circumstance of life. Here's our communication with God through life's circumstances. And so here's number one. Number one is pray when times are tough. Pray when times are tough. And here's the phrase right off the bat in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Pray when times are tough. Pray when you're in trouble. And so for clarification's sake, contextually, this trouble isn't talking about when you get yourself into trouble. Like young person, if you... um, Decide to take the car out for a ride since your parents won't be home for hours. And then when you return and their car is in the parking lot, now you are in trouble. And it might actually be good to pray at that point. But that's not what he's talking about here. The word for trouble isn't about when you get yourself into a jam. Trouble literally means to suffer or endure hardships or trouble, to be afflicted. And it's the general word that describes 
trials that come your way because of your faith or because of life. And if we go over this entire book of the Bible, we realize these people were going through a lot of challenges. Some were due to their faith. Some were due to life. And the remedy that James gives these people is very simple, and it's one word. If anyone's in trouble, pray. Talk to God. And I know it seems simple, doesn't it? You know, here we are, and some of us think this is so elementary. You know, if we're asked on a Bible quiz, what should you do if you're going through a jam? We would answer, you know, they should pray. And, you know, check. Very good. You know, you get an A. And, and we would answer correctly. However, off paper. Let's just get off paper. And when we get into a jam, sometimes in our routine lives, more often than not, our knee-jerk reaction to trials isn't always necessarily to pray. Or at least it's not always the first thing that we do. I just want to let you in. Here's sometimes for me even. A trial hits me and sometimes my first reaction to a situation is to figure out what am I going to do about it? How can I figure it out on my own? Right? And then sometimes, if that's not going well, then the second remedy I have to it is worry. And then when that's not going well, then sometimes I think to pray. Chuck Swindoll says, worry is pulling tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. And after I've consulted self, and then after I've worried, then I call people on the phone to talk about the challenge and to see what they think I should do. And actually, friends, James lays out a completely different and simpler plan than that. He says, you know what, instead of talking to self first, instead of worrying, instead of phoning a friend first, The very first thing we should do, because it communicates something to God if we pray, and it communicates something to God if we don't, the very first thing we should do is pray. There's an old, old song I learned as a kid, and it says this, what a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Here's the big phrase. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Think about that. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. 
So James says, okay, gang, first thing. When trouble comes your way, the first thing you do is you pray. The knee-jerk reaction of our lives, talk to God about it. Here's number two. So when things are going tough, you talk to God about it. But what about thing, when things are going great? Number two, is anyone happy, he says. Let them sing songs of praise. So number two, praise God when you are happy. Praise God when you are happy. So pray when times are tough. Praise God when you are happy. Now I love this wording here for songs if you're happy if things are going your way he says let them sing songs and, and the word here is this word solo and it means to pluck or twang the string and it is not the bible's first reference to country music although it says to twang And it, it kind of has developed far beyond merely a stringed instrument, but it's this idea that I am to express musically something to God. I am to give thanksgiving to God. But notice the recipient is the same. Times are tough. I pray to God. Times are great. I pray. Give thanks to God. But the recipient is the same. It's all vertical. Just one you might be singing. The other one you might be talking. But the direction's the same. And you praise God when you're happy. So how about we do a little practice right now? Sound good? Oh, I don't know what song we all know together. I don't know what key you want to start on. And you want to clap too. We're in trouble, aren't we? Uh, I was thinking the doxology. That's a hard one to clap to, isn't it? It is a hard one. Well, let's just try it, see how we do together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. Praise Father, Son. And holy. Give me a little amen. Ah. That's not too bad, folks. We should go on the road. <laughs> so when things are tough, We express our relationship with God and we tell him about it. And when things are good, we express our relationship with God and we tell him about it. Then here's the third one, and, and James saves the trickiest 
theological thing for the very end. Verse 14, and he says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the early portion of this section is the easier one to understand. <clears throat> Obviously, if, if one is sick, and here is this third point, recruit others to pray when you are sick. So the third point is recruit others to pray when you are sick. The early part of the, of the admonition is easy. So if you're sick, call the elders. Call for church leaders. Let's get others around us. It's, it's not enough for just me to pray about this. I need others to come alongside of me to pray with me. And I don't think anyone has a question or that concerns them theologically. But here's the question mark. It says, anoint them with oil. What's he talking about here? Is this real oil? Really? Why oil? And then, and then some wonder, is this for medicinal purposes or is this just for spiritual purposes? What is he getting at? Some in here might be thinking, you know, is this maybe a Bible verse that helps support my doTERRA or young living business? You know, is this James saying, you know, if you're sick, call the elders of the church and they say, we've got an oil for that. You know, is this, is this kind of how this works? Does James want them to practice prayer and medicine? Is this a medicinal thing? What's going on? Well, there's a couple options here, but I'm going to point us to what I really believe James is getting at with this whole emphasis he wants if individuals are sick he wants them to pull spiritual leaders together this is significant and we've done this folks we did this last sunday and i'm going to tell you about it in just a moment there's a spiritual purpose behind this this is not a medicinal thing and there's a symbolic thing behind this as well. Some, some denominations or religions look at this maybe as a sacrament or call it extreme unction. Some even look at this as last rites, but really the thrust of the passage is physical restoration, not a preparation for death. And this certainly appeared to be real oil with a symbolic purpose. And here's, here's what I believe James is getting at with this. When people were anointed with oil throughout the Old Testament, there was always a designation associated with it. I'm, I'm just going to give you an example. When David, when David in the Old Testament was anointed as king over Israel, 
There was all of his brothers in the room. And Samuel understood that David was going to be the king. This was going to be the guy. Not any of these other individuals. And so there was a designation, there was an anointing of that specific person. And no one else in the room had that designation on them. And with that specific understanding, there was this, that person was set apart for God's specific attention and care. God, of all the people in this room, that is the one that is being set apart. That is the one whom the focus is on. And here I believe in a very same way when the elders come in and meet with this individual who is sick and are requesting, I believe that we anoint with the oil that we're saying, God, of all the people in the room, that is the one, God, this is the one that is being set apart. That is the one we want you to focus your attention and your care on. Please, God, on that individual, meet their need, meet their physical need, meet their spiritual need. And we're begging you to bring healing to their body and even to their spirit because there's something else here. It mentions that there needs to be confession, that we need to make things right. We need to clear up any sin issues. We need to pray for each other. Because the whole issue is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All the slate needs to be clean. Confess your sins, get them out of the way. Even the elders need to be cleaned up in this situation. Confess their sins, get them all cleaned up, and pray for each other so that they may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I do believe, and we have practiced, here at East Bay Calvary, this very thing, we've practiced it numerous times. When people who have been sick have called for the elders of the church and we have prayed with them and we have anointed them with oil. And I tell you, it's been some of the most special and precious times that we've had with people. And we've fessed up. We've taken times to clean our slate with God. And we've asked for God's focus and attention and care on those people and for them to be healed. And one of them uh, was just this past Sunday, um, John Morris. And he went through surgery on Thursday for his pancreatic cancer. And, um, and he is right now recovering down in Grand Rapids, and we are still praying that God would bring healing to his body. Because, you know, doctors can touch a body, but they can't heal a body. Only God can. Now, we've sung together and practiced praising God. Can we pray together for John, 
and ask for God's continued healing and care in his body as a church family? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we confess, number one, we clean the slate. None of us come by way of our own righteousness. Father, forgive us for our wrongs in our minds, in our lips, in our attitudes, in our actions, even today. And as the elders did last Sunday, God, even this morning, we present John and ask your continued work in his body. We pray that you would bring healing to him. We pray that through his situation, God, that you would bring honor and glory to yourself and your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that every nurse, every doctor, every person that comes in contact with he and Nancy down there in Grand Rapids, that they would understand your goodness through their testimony. And God, we just, want, we just want you to set them apart and show your attention and your care upon them. Do something great there. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And the Bible says that The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And it mentions the example of Elijah. And it gives um, the situations found in 1 Kings 18 and chapter 17 where he prayed and it would not rain and then he, um, he prayed and then it did rain. Some of my um, greatest accounts are um, stories of George Mueller. I don't know if you've ever heard of George Mueller. By 1870, he was overseeing five huge orphan houses with nearly 2,000 orphans occupying them. Imagine that, 2,000 orphans in 1870. And he fortified them with food, clothing, housing, and schooling. Get this. By prayer alone. By prayer alone. And in 1861, the Townsend family came to work with Mr. Mueller, and their daughter Abigail was just three years old, and she loved Mr. Mueller. She spent as much time as she could with him, and she wanted God to answer her prayers like he did Mr. Mueller. And one day at his home, she climbed on his knee and she said, Mr. Mueller, and, and she recited Jesus' words. She says, Jesus said, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe, ye receive them, and ye have them. 
Now, Abby, Mr. Mueller said, what do you want to ask God for? Some wool, she said. And so Mr. Mueller took her hands and said, well, let's ask God for some wool. And Abby prayed this, and she ran into the garden and soon returned, and she says, I want to pray again. And, and he said, not now, dear, I'm busy. And, and, and she said, but Mr. Mueller, I forgot to ask for the color of wool. And he lifted her back up on his knee and said, okay, tell God what kind of wool. And she said, please, God, send me some wall-regated wool. The next day, the little girl was thrilled to receive a package in the mail. Her Sunday school teacher had sent her an early birthday present, variegated wool. Early one morning, Abigail was playing in Mr. Mueller's garden again when he took her by the hand and said, come see what our father will do. He led her into a long dining room. The plates and cups were on the table, and by then there was nothing on the table but empty dishes, no food in the pantry, no money to supply the need. The children were standing, waiting for breakfast. Children, you know, we must be in time for school, said Mr. Mueller. Then lifting up his hand, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what we are going to eat this morning. And just then a knock came to the door and a baker stood there. Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast. The Lord wanted me to send you some, so I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. George thanked the baker. Praise God for his care, children, he said. We not only have bread, but the rare treat of fresh bread. And then, almost immediately, a second knock on the door. This time it was the milkman, and he said, Mr. Mueller, I can't believe it. My cart broke down outside the orphanage, and I need to empty the cart before I can fix the wheel. Do you think your children would like fresh milk this morning? And they all had fresh milk. And so here's the question. Is it really possible to live on a prayer? And here's the answer. Yes, but only. If you're living the righteous life that God desires, because it is the prayer of a righteous person that is powerful and effective. So we're going to finish our study in James, and I'm just going to answer the question, who's righteous? Who is righteous? Here's the answer. It is the person whose faith works. It is the person whose faith works. And I've got two thoughts for us. True faith, number one, begins with Jesus. True faith begins with Jesus. 
As PR said earlier, we are not forgiven by our works. We are forgiven, amen, by his work on the cross. The Bible says it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. It also goes on, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior. True faith begins with Jesus. The scriptures also say it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It is not by our works so that no one can boast. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Who is righteous? It's the person whose faith works and no faith works that doesn't first start with Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, if you want a faith that works, it starts at the cross. It starts with believing Jesus, that he died for you, that your forgiveness only comes through him. You can't work your way to heaven. Our way to forgiveness comes when we realize Jesus died for us and is the only way for forgiveness. Here's number two. True faith begins with Jesus. Here's number two. True faith works. True faith works. The one who is truly forgiven of their sins shows it by turning from their sin to be like Jesus. James said it best. I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works. One has said, there are three kinds of workers. For example, when a piano is to be moved, the first one gets behind and pushes the piano. The second pulls and guides the piano. The third just grabs the piano stool. Christ didn't die on the cross just so we can attend church on Sunday, people. He died so our lives can be changed forever. And so we can have a faith that works. He saved us to, with his help, work this Christ-like life. He saved us to, with his help, influence our world for him. He saved us to, with his help, bring others to follow him. He saved us to, with his help, have a marriage that works. He saved us to, with his help, have a family that works. And he saved us to, with his help, have a faith that works. When one is truly forgiven by Christ's work on the cross... 
it will show in their work for him. It'll show. My prayer is we have a church that has a faith that works. Amen? We stand. Let's pray. Father, may that be our prayer. A prayer of devotion. A prayer of dedication. God, may we not have a passive faith a faith that merely attends church god may we have an active growing developing faith that gives evidence that we really do believe we believe in jesus He's changed us from the cross. And he's in us, helping us every day. We need him. We need him. And he's working in us. May we be that church. May you make a difference in us. Give us a faith that works. And all of these faiths said,